Well, hey, and welcome to episode 35 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and we're so glad you're here. Well, on this episode, Jason, Josh, and I kick off chapter 12 of the Book of Romans by discussing humility, uh, the application of spiritual gifts within the church, and how we can practically offer our body as a living sacrifice. As always, if you've not yet listened to the message from Sunday, we do encourage you to go back and do so, as it's going to help uh, this conversation make much more sense to you. Well, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, good morning. Good morning. Hey, morning. Feels good to be back after a week off. It does. Week off the podcast, that is. It's not like we have anything else going on. Yeah, you know, just just a couple things. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We only work on Sundays. That is, that true. is true. We that only is. work on Sundays. Yeah. Um, hey, it's officially spring, I think, right? I'm not saying anything. It feels really nice outside this morning. No. Sunny. The wind has really started yet. Man, why? See? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> uh, it, it's been windy a couple of the afternoons, but no, it's all right. We got a ways to go. How uh, how'd Easter go for you guys? Seemed good. Yeah, I mean, it was a good time, I think. Yeah. Um, obviously kind of busy. Had a lot going on, uh-huh. you know. We had a few services we were doing here. And then just everything else going on. It just was a kind of busy season. It was like 20, I don't know, man. It was like 22 straight days or something that I ended up not having like a, a Sabbath. And I was feeling it. Yeah. So uh-huh. I know we were all graciously given that Monday off. And I didn't do anything. Um, nice. It was really nice. I, I just felt like, oh, I've reached. Like, I think there are seasons you can run at a higher pace. I think you just have to know who you are, too. Like what your pace may be and what my pace may be is really different. But I knew I was like, Ooh, I don't, I need to do nothing day, which is what we call Sabbath because God tells us to do that. And I could feel it in just my spirit. So I was, I was grateful to have that. It was like two thirty, and I was like, Oh, the day's already over. Like, yeah. I was really upset by that. <laughs> it I've, went really fast. Yeah, I've learned maybe more recently. I probably was trying to deceive myself prior, but I've learned more recently that my capacity is much lower than I thought it was when it comes to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm doing like hard mental energy work kit for weeks on end, which I have to do is just a part of our rhythms. Uh I realized like I've got a so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself like on a Thursday afternoon. I was like, okay, I think I'm done. It's like 30 or two on a Thursday afternoon. And I was like, I'm just gonna go. And I went for a bike ride. I was like, I, I like that. I need stuff like that. So I can I can usually uh postpone a full blown Sabbath day if I absolutely need to by by taking those opportunities yeah. and trying to get some rest, get outside for a little bit. Um, but now I I'm realizing my capacity is far lower. Like when I try to push it, my work quality diminishes, my everything else. I mean, my attitude's garbage. It's it's just not great for me. So yeah, yeah. Which is helpful learning that. I'm oh, sure yeah. you've probably learned that in just seasons of busy and spring. I know it's a busy season for us. I'm sure you're and we talked about this as a staff not too long ago. We talked about, you know, when everybody goes, Why are you tired? Hmm. That was a really good reminder of like yeah. if you're tired because you're not resting, uh, it's maybe on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, I'm like you. I pretty much crashed a little bit on that Monday, but it turned out both of my kids got sick. So, and my wife had already decided she was taking that day off. And so we were all four home. So it was not the personal moment of getting to rest like you got. So it was a whole family thing. But as far as Easter goes, I got my, you know, Brendan invited us over for, uh, for supper on Saturday night after church. Um, and then after Sunday, I got to eat my Easter ham. So oh, good. I, I did get my Easter ham. Why do we do that? You want to know why? I said I used to say this in a sermon, and the staff said, you got to stop saying that. Because <laughs> it's the same as Passover. And I always said, you know, it's it's funny that we chose ham. That's the Easter. It's like we're saying to the Jews, we we got we got your Messiah and we eat pork. You know, it's like we're gonna celebrate your Messiah by cutting up a pig. Diana said that. Like when we I was like, I can't find any ham. She goes, Why do we eat ham? Yeah. Feels like we're just not being kind. It is That's, kind of a slap in the face. I think it, it there's got there's gotta be something to it. It's right? cheap. I'm going to go with it as cheap. We always did lamb. Really? Yeah, we'd eat lamb on Easter. Big dog. Except so growing up, it was like the dry lamb loin. It's like just bone dry. It's like worse than over grilling chicken. Oh, it's so bad. So a couple of like sometime this past year, I was walking in Costco and I saw a rack of lamb sitting there and I was like, redemption. Like I'm going to take that and I'm going to cook it in a way that's actually good. So now it's got a really good rack of lamb recipe. So did you do it? Not for Easter. No, well, I mean, did. did you cook that rack of lamb? Was it good? Oh, yeah, so good. Oh, oh rack of lamb is fantastic. Oh, it's... It, I don't know that I've ever had it. it That's is what the, I'm trying to think. It is too. the closest thing to, like, a, a well-cooked rack of lamb. Um, it's better than uh, better than a pork chop for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of what flavor profile-wise, it's almost like eating beef. Like, if you prepare it well, it's almost like eating a steak. Really, really good. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to do it sometime. Okay. I'll have to cook up some rack of lamb. Interesting. Well, how did uh, your Easter, I know you Lent, did Lent this year, Brendan. How I did. did that go? I did, and I don't often, um, but Courtney and I both did this year. Uh, we booted so, all social media, and it was good. It was really good. Um, I Courtney made the decision she's not going back on, I don't think, at least for now. Um, so for her, it carried over for me, I'm back on, I, I went back on Instagram and I've got a, like a 15 minute of the day time limit set on my phone and it'll close the app after I have sat through my 15 minutes or whatever it is. So it's good. I, here's the thing I appreciate about it. Like there is a gift to social media and it is like the, I stay engaged with people that I never see. That's the gift for me. Like I can stay up to date. I can know the things that are going on, especially yeah. my, some of my friends in ministry and that sort of thing. I'm just trying to stay. Uh, stay in tune with what's going on there but obviously that's like the f the first 10 minutes and then the next six hours are just garbage content <laughs> so it's like if you find yourself just scrolling for hours on end which is what i'm trying to prohibit it's like that's just not helpful but i do think there's a gift in oh, i've got all of these friends all over the place that are doing ministry or living their lives with their families and i can stay pseudo connected to them in some way shape or form so i'm trying to gain the piece of like, oh, this is really good and 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 powerful without getting the garbage. I'm just scrolling through the algorithm thing. So yeah. we'll see how, how well that goes. But yeah. it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Nice. And for your Monday off, while Josh and I were lounging around eating Cheetos on the couch, what were you doing? 
Uh, I went for a hike. A hike implies like, oh, I just walked around a little bit. You did more <laughs> than a. It was a pretty aggressive hike. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't too aggressive that like the fourteen-year-olds that were with us couldn't do it. So that's I keep putting it into the context of this wasn't like a. You know, I worked out for six months to go do this thing. It was like I got a text from Ken, our campus pastor in Prescott Valley, like on Friday saying, hey, we're going to go do this hike up, up in the canyon if you want to join. And I was like, yeah, I can probably I could probably squeak that out. So it was um, so for anyone who's done any hiking, I know there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of people that I've talked to throughout the course of the weekends that are big into hiking and outdoor stuff. So if you spent much time up at the Grand Canyon, uh, a group of us um, from the team here uh decided to do uh a, a loop so starting at the south rim going down uh south kaibab trail uh going to phantom ranch hooking a, a left there kind of turning back around making our way to the rim trail then back to bright angel bright angel back up to the south rim so uh, i think clocks 17 and a half or 18 miles in total over the course of nine hours so it was a good time Nine hours. Nine hours. And what was your elevation gain? It's like 5,000 feet from the rim to the the valley floor. So, so. you're going down a mile mm -hmm. in elevation and then coming back up a mile in elevation. Yeah, it's not quite a mile, but it's close. <laughs> so what, that's 5325 or something like that? 52. 50, okay. I think 52. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was good. It was, um, if you've not been. Miles not 54? <laughs> okay, we'll have to ask the Googles. I feel like it's 54. It is 5280. Ah! What'd you say 53? I said, no, I said 52. I said 53. Oh. I mean, you rounded up. I said 5325. <laughs> I should know this. On the Nuggets floor, they have 5280, like in their paint. Yes. Yeah, the Mile High City. But they have it on their basketball floor do, that I was yeah. literally watching last night. What is the matter with me? Oh, man. They should, beat the brakes off those did. guys. That was a great game. They were digressing. They sorry. Sorry. People. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> they've already My bad. Off. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, it was fun. So here's the thing. Uh, you know, there's only a couple of seasons uh, of the year, some in the spring, some in the fall, that you can go down and have a good, enjoyable experience down in the, in the canyon. It got a little hot on the hike out when we just started climbing back out on uh on the rim trail and on bright angel specifically but uh yeah it was a really good time it was a few adults and then um we had four like 14 15 or three 14 15 16 year olds ish that joined and they crushed it it was great they weren't sore nearly as sore as we were the next day which i was envious of but young muscles yeah yeah it was a good time so cool well let's dive in uh this past um this past sunday we kicked off Romans chapter 12. Um, one thing we didn't do that we talked about doing that I didn't talk about this morning with you guys, so I'm putting you a bit on the spot here, is back when we got into um, chapter 9, we made the observation that you can kind of just, if you wanted to, skip 9, 10, and 11 altogether. Jason, do you remember making this observation? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Would you pull it up for us and just read the line before and the line after just so that we can understand how clearly that makes sense? All right. So you have to put it into context again. So remember, Romans 8 is the crescendo. It is like the pinnacle of the amazing story of the gospel. It begins with chapter 1 saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes through all of these great promises. We've been adopted as his sons. The 
Holy Spirit has indwelled us. He is interceding for us on our behalf, and he goes through and gets to the crescendo piece where it's like we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As God is for us, who can be against us? Um, he who did not spare his son, but gave himself for us all, how will he not also give us all things? No, and all of these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, neither powers, or neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And everybody cheers. And then you flip over to 12 and it begins, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. So it goes from this, man, God's done all of this for us and he's given us these great promises and he's never gonna leave us and he loves us more than anything and nothing will separate us from this love. So now, in view of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Like it, it totally is uh, connects the dots there. Um, And you kind of, it does kind of feel like a bit of an interlude when you go from with the nine, 10 and 11 in the middle. Yeah. Super helpful interlude, but yeah. Um, So yeah, we, I mean, we're there now uh, in Romans chapter 12 and uh, this weekend we were in verses one through eight. Uh, We had a lot of ground to cover and I think you did a good job of, covering that ground in a way that was really helpful. Um, but that also left us with some questions because anytime we've got this much content over the course of 35 minutes on a, a Sunday, we can't quite dive deep enough into each of the subjects in order to, to you know, close the gap, close the circle rather. So let's chat a little bit about some of the questions we got in because we got a bunch of really helpful questions. And I want to start with this one um, because this this concept of humility and making nothing of yourself rather than, you know, our culture, which tells us, hey, go make something of yourself. Um, and, and there was a great question from Brady. And I'm going to paraphrase the question kind of um, because he contextualized it for himself personally as a, a Christian small business owner and that sort of thing, essentially saying, hey, like, how do we reconcile this idea of inhumility, you know, by making ourselves nothing in service, being in the likeness of Christ in Philippians 2, 3 that we see, like, how do we take that? But then also, couldn't we honor God by building this, you know, this thing, by doing well, by excelling in, in the business and, and growing that and doing it to the glory of God? So how do we reconcile those two things um, when it comes to this idea of, right, Christ made himself nothing. So how do we do that, but still have a livelihood and, and grow a business if that's what we're doing? Yeah, that is a great question. And Again, this is one of those, if I would have had the time, we would have walked through Philippians 2. And um, and so let me, let's take a couple of minutes right now just to contextualize the statement that I used. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And again, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, to this church, therefore, if you, meaning the whole church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any compassion, com- I'm sorry, if any common sharing in the spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So being united, having the same love, being one spirit and one mind. So that's the premise. There's going to be a unity among the believers. Verse three, do nothing, do no thing. Make sure you hear that. Do no thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So that sets up 
whatever our business is, whatever our job is, we are to do nothing out of a selfish ambition that are, it's driven by a selfishness in me or a vain conceit. In other words, that we want other people to see us and to appreciate us and to get notoriety for ourselves. He says, don't do that. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's the point, that we're not using the position God gave us to our own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, this is the important piece. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what I would say to Brady is when we say you don't, not to make yourself something, but to make yourself nothing, we're not saying, what I'm not saying is don't go do anything and don't reject and refuse any desire for um, acclaim or notoriety. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that notoriety should come out of your service of others. That Jesus, we say he made himself nothing, but there's no one who knows whose name is known more around the world than Jesus. There's no one who's had more pictures painted of him, more songs sung about him than Jesus. He did he made himself nothing, and in doing so, in humility, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and then God exalted him to the highest place. And the difference is, what happens is, many times we'll go in with a bad motive. I just want to make something of myself. I want to make my name great. I mean, this is the popular, the most popular job, if you ask a Gen Z, is I want to be an influencer. I want to have a I want to have a platform. I want people to know my name. That's a whole phrase that we use now. That wasn't nobody talked about building your platform 25 years ago. It wasn't a thing, but it is now because we want to be known. We want to be everybody wants to be famous. And in doing so, oftentimes we will we will either prop ourselves up or push others down to get our name out there. And I think that's what he's trying to get away from. Jesus had every right to be the highest, most important person in any place he ever went. But instead of leveraging that for his own sake, he lowered himself to lift us up. And because he did that, God lifted him up to the highest place. So I would say if you're starting a business, if you're in that business world, you want to accomplish something great, just start by being faithful and let God lift you up. Here's the thing I know. As a pastor, this happens all the time, and I have it in me. There have been seasons of my life where I wanted my name to be out there, where I wanted people to think I was great, where I wanted recognition and acclaim. We want to build our platform. We want people to, uh, to look at us and value us, and it puffs us up, and we like it. But I've got to kill that piece in me. And just be faithful to what God, the opportunities that God has given me. And if I will just be faithful, 
and continue to lift other people up. I serve them well, not trying to build my name, but actually trying to build the name of, of God. I'll let him take care of the results. Whatever that looks like, however big the church gets, however far my name goes, that part is up to God. I just need to be faithful in what he's given to me. So um, so again, Brady, I'd say we just got to be careful about making sure that our goal at the end of the day is to not bring glory on ourselves, but it is to actually bring glory to God. We should build great businesses to the glory of God. We should have great marriages for the glory of God. We should raise great children for the glory of God. We should do great work for the glory of God. But we got to make sure it's actually for the glory of God, not for ourselves. And that comes with us actually laying down our life and lifting up other people. And that let God uh, figure out the results. We just do what he's asked us to do. Yeah, and it is, right, the practice um, of checking your motives daily, right? It's like a, a every time we're making the de- decision, okay, is this selfish, selfish ambition? Is this vain conceit? W- where is this coming from? Or is this just, man, what an opportunity to glorify the name of Jesus through this business or through these decisions? So um, yeah, it just comes down to a heart decision. It's the same yeah. conversations we have around discipleship, right? It's just, again, what are we doing and are we doing it intentionally to bring glory to God? Yep. If we have any Gen Zers listening, don't think the other generations were not consumed also with trying to make their names great. Oh no, we just it was yeah. a di- we just used different. different yeah, yeah. I was like, don't just keep. Hey, look, I'm for you, Gen Zers. I got hope in no. you. You guys are going to do some great things. So I want to lift you up. Okay. In my day, it was every pastor that I ever knew was always called by God to a bigger church. <laughs> like everyone. Yeah. It's like when they left their church, it was because God's calling us to the, wait, did God never call anybody to a lower church? Did God never call anybody to a lesser known city? No, everybody always got, <laughs> God always called people to a place with a better, a better staff and a bigger paycheck. And I'm like, I, that, I don't know that that's true. I see yeah, and that's there. a that's a great segue. So talking about hearing directly from God, let's talk a little bit about spiritual <laughs> spiritual gifts. Huh. Uh, we had a li- I mean, so right this this whole section or part of this section in in uh, Romans chapter twelve is uh, about the body. It is about how we are uniquely designed and gifted uh, within the body of Christ to serve one another and uh, to use the gifts we've been given. You give a bunch of examples of gifts, um, and a couple stood out. Uh, so let me ask, I've got two questions on this. Um, let's ask this one first. This one came in from Stephanie, and she just asked, hey, would you please discuss the distinction between spiritual gifts and native personality types or things that we have developed or been developed into gifts that we've developed? Uh, so again, trying to categorize these as, hey, something that we've been given and something that we have kind of developed uh, on our own. And then how do we determine uh, the difference between the two? She gave the example of a, a good school teacher versus someone who has been gifted to teach. How do they overlap and how do you uh, identify the difference? I do think there is a distinction biblically between a simple skill and a gift. Um, and skills we can get a lot of places. Um, so let me let me give three texts. So for those of you who might be in a life group uh, or a discipleship group, and you want to have this conversation a little bit further, let me give you three 
three different places in Scripture that talk about uh, these gifts. So, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start with that one. Uh, so there's really this, this 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 really do go hand in hand. Obviously, Paul is the author of both and really spends some time talking about these, these spiritual gifts. So, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one who says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So here's the first thing I'd say for Stephanie, that the distinction, one of the major distinctions between just a skill or a personality that we were born with or a skill that we went to, to school to develop, Paul, Paul draws a line that these gifts specifically are given by the spirit. So there is there is a moment where you didn't have this gift and you came to Christ and this gift was bestowed upon you. So this was not something you were simply born with. This came by the power of the spirit in your life. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So that this puts the, the gifts of the Spirit in context. It, each gift is a manifestation of the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have these gifts. So this is a gift by the Spirit, and it is given for the common good. In other words, these gifts are meant to be used within and for the benefit of the body of Christ. They're not given for us as individuals. They're not even given just for our families. They are given for the common good of the body of Christ. Verse 8. To one, there's given the spirit of the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. Again, he overemphasizes in each of these these come directly from the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have this. There are great teachers in our classroom who are not followers of Jesus. They have a skill that they've learned and developed, but this is different. This is a, a gifting that comes directly from the Spirit of God. To others, the gift of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different times types of tongue, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes each, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So if you are a follower of Jesus filled with the Spirit, two things. You have a gift, as this text says. He distributes them to each one, every one, who is a part of the body of Christ, has a gift. And again, it is given by the Spirit. It's not something you learn in elementary school. It was a gift given 
by the Holy Spirit. So I think that's the differentiation I would make um, for Stephanie. I would also add, though, let me let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter four. So he, we, Paul gives us even a, a a specific example of how this happens. In First Timothy chapter four, he's writing to a young man named Timothy. And here's what he says. Um, if I can find it here. He's talking to this young pastor named Timothy. And in chapter 4, he says this in verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So this was a gift of preaching and teaching that was given to Timothy by the laying on of hands, by, uh, by the body of elders. He was ordained in this church. They laid their hands on him. And in that moment, he was given this gift by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is you go to the next verse, verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. In other words, Timothy, work, diligent. You put in the effort here. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Like this is so important. When we are given a gift, I don't believe that we are given a gift to its full extension. Like we have to be diligent, put to work to make our gift uh, all that it can be. So he says, so that everyone may see your progress. When Timothy first received this gift of preaching and teaching, he was not the best preacher and teacher he could be. He had to put in the effort. Uh, you can always use the basketball example, right? You think about Michael Jordan, or you think about LeBron James, or you think about Ja Moran, or whoever you want to think about. No one would doubt Michael Jordan was a gifted basketball player. He had skills and abilities that nobody else had. But you know what he also had? A work ethic. And he went into the gym every day. This is what Kobe is most famous for, right? He was gifted athletically. He had skills and abilities, but he also was diligent. And he, he worked and worked and worked, and people could see his progress. And that's true for us. Like, think about Josh. You and I had a conversation last week. As we was preparing for Easter, I shared some thoughts, and you looked at me and you said, I shared a bit of a sermon that I had done 12, 14 years ago, and you said, yeah, that, that was good, it was fine, but it isn't what you are now. And it's, on one level, that's offensive. It's like, <laughs> oh, what, you saying I ain't any good? But the other level is, no, 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 you've got a decade of of work that you've put in and now we can see your progress. I'm reading this thing and I can tell the difference between the part that you write today and what you wrote 12 years ago. The tone is different. It's just not the same. And that should be true for all of us. Whatever our gift is, we're putting it into practice and we're utilizing it and people ought to see our progress. So I just want to make sure that when we when we think about these gifts, it's not just something we receive in a moment and we have it at 100% of what we're going to get. 
That's, I just don't think it's that true. We have to work at it, be diligent in it, and people should see our progress. So let me stop there for a minute, let you ask another question or follow up. I you thought you had a third verse. I do. We could go back. Okay. <laughs> Great. First <laughs> Peter chapter four. Let me give you one more. First Peter chapter four. This is in. Um, so now we're out of Paul. So Paul gives it to us in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12. Then Peter jumps in in 1 Peter chapter 4, and he he adds to it as well. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Again, that's the point of our gifts. It is never about us. The gifts are not given so that my life is better or easier or so that I get a spotlight. That's not the gifts. The gifts are always given for the sake of serving others. Then he adds this, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The grace of God, Peter or Paul uses the words uh, manifestations of the Spirit. They're, the Holy Spirit is working through us. The grace of God is in us, and we are but stewards of those gifts. In other words, they didn't come from, from us. A steward is someone who works on behalf of someone else. It comes from the landowner who has a giant farm, and on that farm there is a steward, and he manages the farm on behalf of the landowner. That's what a steward does. The steward of the house manages all of the house on behalf of the owner of the house, but the steward owns none of it. He just manages it for the owner. And, and Peter says, that's the way you need to think about your gifts. They're not yours. They didn't belong to you. They weren't given for you. You are, They were given to you to operate on behalf of the owner. You do this because the owner asked you to. So we receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Who gets to praise when your gifts are put into use? Not you, not me. Nobody should praise the person who's giving the gift. I'm sorry, using the gift. The praise goes to the giver of the gift. Okay? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So, gifts come from God through the Spirit. They are supernatural. They're not what we're born with. We are to develop them and use them, grow in our progress of them, and leverage them for other people to the glory of God. That's the summary statement I got. All right. <laughs> yeah, I always think of Acts, uh, Barnabas, you know, his name was actually Joseph, and but he was known as Barnabas because he was the son of encouragement. That he used his gift in such a way that they changed his name. Yeah, well, I always like when I think of my giftings or people having their giftings that we use it in such a way that oh my goodness, people recognize that mm -hmm. and go, "Your name is actually should be different." Um, and then you look at Barnabas and his story uh, just through the Book of Acts. And how he gets Paul. And even when Paul and him have a disagreement, it's not surprising that he goes with John Mark. 
like it's uh, you know uh at all that he goes with mark and he then mark probably ends up writing the gospel for peter because maybe barnabas's encouragement just to keep going stay faithful don't give up yeah you know just a a great picture of what it looks like like they called him out because of because he was an encourager like that again we all want the gifts that put you on the platform this that was not his yeah and he's in the book of acts the story of the beginning of the church and was probably super in i know he was i don't have to say probably he was super influential in the life of the apostle paul he was the one that vouched for him in front of the brothers and sisters the believers like no i've been with this guy and i've seen what he's doing yeah this is a work of the lord so just such a cool like practical way for me when i think of gifting barnabas is always who i think of hmm. yeah that's really good here's here's one more question around the idea of uh spiritual gifts this one so you you went through the list that paul gives in uh in the beginning of chapter 12 and you pointed out uh, a number of what were there six or seven gifts that he identifies yeah mm-hmm. um and then there's this one though <laughs> that seems I, I feel like anytime we get a question about spiritual gifts we'll often uh in discovering quad city classes or, or you know when people are newer to the church they'll ask us this question um hey what what's your uh, interpretation of modern day spiritual gifts and we know because we feel this question all the time that we're never talking about leadership we're never talking about the gift of administration. We're never talking about encouragement. What are we talking about, Jason? Prophecy or speaking and or speaking in tongues Those and the, or healing. It's yeah. usually the ones out of 1 Corinthians 12. 100%. Which are, which are often dubbed the supernatural gifts. Right, right. As opposed to the gift of mercy or the gift of generosity. 100%. So it's just always this funny, you know, it's, it, and it makes sense because there are whole denominations built around yeah. some of those things and that have real strong opinions and theologies and, and philosophies around some of those supernatural gifts and they hold them of, of most importance. And that's totally okay. Again, we being a non-denominational Christian church get all sorts of people with all sorts of backgrounds. Um, it's just funny that that's, it's such a common question that we get asked. So there's one though about prophecy. It says, Hey, uh, what is the true definition and application of the spiritual gift of prophecy today? That's it. That's the question. That's it. Okay. That that seems okay. That, I don't know that we can answer that in two sentences. That feels more like a yes no uh, that I can't give a yes no to. So let me back up a little bit and set the context for people who, because they come out of all sorts of different backgrounds, may not understand the tension that you're describing here. So there's really two camps that people talk about when they talk about these, again, the more supernatural or miraculous gifts of the Spirit. There's one camp that would be called the cessationalist, okay? Uh, If you come from a Church of Christ background, this is likely what you were taught. And the cessationalist, not sensationalist, but cessationalist, meaning these gifts have ceased, There are some who believe that the gifts, the miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues or prophecy or healing or words of knowledge, that those supernatural gifts were only in play during the time of the apostles. During the time of the apostles, until the word of God was able to be written, um, then once the the canon of scripture was completed, the 
those gifts ceased. So they stopped being offered by the Holy Spirit. So they were no longer necessary because we now have the Bible. So we don't need the Holy Spirit to speak to people because we have the Word of God. So that's that's one camp, the cessationalists. The others, the other camp is there are those who would say, no, we believe these gifts are still in operation by God, and he still has the ability to use these however, whenever, and wherever he wants, and they are still active and available to believers in all generations. So those are really the two camps. So let's talk about where do we land or where do I, what do, what do we see in scripture? Um, I would fit into the camp and I think we, we see it both in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul lists all of those gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. Paul is speaking those gifts to who? To the people in the church of Corinth. Like he, it doesn't seem as if he believed that those were only going to be available for for the age of the apostles. He's writing this to everyday believers in the church. Um, Romans 14, we'll get there eventually. In Romans 14, he says, um, let me see if I can find it here. I thought it was Romans 14. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians 14. I'm sorry, I blanked there for a second. 1 Corinthians 14, he adds this. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul, writing to the church, says, you should eagerly desire these spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially prophecy. Like he calls that one out specifically and says, you should want that one. And then he adds some context. For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who speaks prophecies edifies the church. I would like everyone to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, interprets so that the church may be edified. So in this, Paul lifts up this spiritual gift of prophecy, and he says, when you do that, it is given as a gift to edify the church. And again, I have a hard time thinking that that simply means edifies this church or edifies the first century church. I just have a hard time believing that. It seems as if this is a gift that has been available by the, by the Spirit to edify the church. Now, what does this gift do? Well, verse 3 gives us a little bit of some guardrails. The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So it's speaking a word from God that is encouraging and comforting and strengthening, that that empowers the people. This, this idea that it has to be about the future, I think is a false, I don't think that's what it means. It, it's not, prophecy doesn't necessarily mean fortune telling. It, it is just 
proclaiming a message from the Lord in a way that strengthens and equips and encourages the people. But I do believe it is different than just the gift of preaching and teaching because we find those gifts listed separately in Scripture. I think this is a miraculous gift. It is a word from the Spirit for the church, but it always must come under the authority of the Word of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never speak a word in private that would contradict what He has already given us in public through His Word. So we have His public Word. He'll never tell something, someone in private something that would contradict what he has already revealed to us in public. I think this is a gift that still is still around. And I think God still uses it in a lot of the world to proclaim his word to people uh, in places that there aren't great preachers and teachers. I think he still uses this word to speak truth um, to people and encourage people. I've had some people come up and speak words of knowledge or words of prophecy over me that have been encouraging. Um, but we always have to test them. And we have to make sure that we remember that there are bukus of warnings, bukus of warnings in the Bible about false prophets. In other words, about people who are saying they are prophets of God, speaking prophecies of God, that are actually speaking on behalf of demons. Mm -hmm. Like that's, there are those warnings. So every time we have, we, somebody has a word of prophecy, it is incumbent upon us to take that word and to lay it against what God has already revealed in his word. And if it has contradicts what we have in scripture, you have to reject it. That is not, we have to reject that. So there are such things as false prophets but I also think there are real people who still have this gift uh, today. So there are those in our church who don't believe that, and that's okay. But that's where I see it coming from Scripture. Yeah, 100%. And again, like you mentioned, there's there's tons of um, guidance on testing prophecies. Yes. I think of, uh, what's the text in Deuteronomy um, 18? There's, I think there's a text in Deuteronomy 18 that's pretty clear around the systematic way to test yeah test a prophet or uh, uh, someone speaking on behalf of the Lord. And yep. again, it's always just helpful to, to uh, you know, know what scripture teaches or around those things. So I do think that's, I do think that is really helpful. All right. We do have one more question uh, regarding this idea of spiritual gifts and the way that the church allows people to use them, encourages people to use them within the, the local context. So here's the question. Uh, it comes from Brian. Brian says, Romans 12, 6 through 8 encourages us to use our gifts. Vernon Rogers is a gifted and very knowledgeable teacher who taught for 25 plus years at PCC prior to us being Quad City, um, but his class was dissolved. The Monday Night Men's Bible study was similarly dissolved when Quad City moved towards their discipleship group model. However, the group has since moved uh, to another location in order to continue the teaching. What are the acceptable venues at Quad City where a teacher can use and exercise his or her gifts? That's a great question. Thanks, Brian, for uh, giving us an opportunity to chat through this for a second. So uh, let me first just start by addressing a couple of the um, opportunities that you had shared that are, that are no longer uh, part of Quad City. Um, 
put some context. A lot of our people wouldn't know who Dr. Rogers is. Um, Dr. Rogers is was on our staff here at Quad City for almost, oh, I can't remember, 10, 15, 10, 12 years before I got here. Uh, he was the interim lead pastor when I arrived. So he was part of that group that was uh, holding uh, Prescott Christian Church together in a really difficult time. And so my love and admiration for Dr. Rogers runs deep. And so he is a great, uh, a great man, godly pastor and preacher, and uh, so grateful that I got to spend time doing ministry with him. Um, and what Brian is alluding to is for many, many years. So actually from the time, I don't know how long it lasted before I got here, but I got here in 2008. And between 2008 uh, up through like two, I think it was right before or during COVID. So they were meeting uh, at our church. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, uh, almost like a Sunday school hour for those of you who grew up in a more traditional church. Um, and they had a Bible study, a Sunday school class that operated for that dozen years. Um, and Dr. Rogers, uh, along with a couple of other uh, longtime teachers, uh, would, would teach in that class every week. And I think what I would say to Brian is the reason that class was dissolved had nothing to do with Dr. Rogers or his ability to teach. Uh, no one ever questioned that. Um, and you can speak to some of the elders at the time. The, the concern around that class um, was more around uh, divisiveness, um, that in that season, that over that 12 years, that class became more and more insulated and isolated from the rest of the body. And, and it became in and of itself, its own church. And so it ceased at some point in there from being a, a Sunday school that was a part of a larger body. It became a church within a church. Um, it became, they would sing their own hymns and they would take their own offering and they would u- utilize their money, those monies to, to orchestrate their own missions. And so it was a church that was operating outside of the body of believers. In fact, many of the people that were in the class um, didn't even come to church. They just came for the class. And so that that level of divisiveness uh, ultimately was the issue. And we we tried for years and years to figure that out and work through it humbly together um, and just couldn't come to a common, a common ground. Um, but it had nothing to do with the gift of teaching uh, not being desired or utilized here at Prescott Christian Church. So hopefully that gives a little bit more context. Um, that group continued to meet, and I still think they're, they're meeting in um, Prescott Valley today and on Sunday afternoon. So uh, grateful for them, grateful that they still have a an opportunity to gather. In fact, when they decided that they wanted to move and uh, operate their their class on Sunday afternoons, um, we we offered as a church to buy them all the chairs that they needed to help them get set up so that they could have what they need to gather together. Um, 
our desire was not to quell any of the teaching. It was to make sure that we as a church are all moving in one direction. We can't uh, unity or disunity in the church is so bad, and this church has experienced that in the past. And we just we saw that hand, the writing on the wall, and our elders spent a lot of time, more hours than I could tell you, uh, trying to figure out how how to bring that 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 group uh, alongside with the vision of Crescent Christian Church, and we just couldn't get there. And so there was a moment where we just had to bless and release. Um, but all that to say, it had nothing to do with um, with the teaching aspect or the gift of teaching. That's really good. So the second piece to the question specifically addresses um, right the idea of men's Bible study, and yeah. really, and let's uh, take a step back and say large group Bible study in general is probably a more helpful topic to yeah. address here um, because this is a conversation we've had a bunch yeah. uh, and recent change in. So, yeah, it's good. Um, it really started a few years ago, probably three or four years ago, um, when our women's ministry began evaluating the effectiveness of the large group Bible studies that they were doing. So we had a group of women's leaders who said, you know, as we're looking around and they were doing some Bible studies and had about, excuse me, 70, 80, 90 women involved in these large group Bible studies, and they were putting on three or four of them um, every Wednesday night or and some on like a Monday afternoon. And so they were doing that. And as they began to evaluate, they just asked the question that we want all of our people to ask, is this actually helping to make disciples? Like that's, that is at the end of the day, that's our mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus. And so they started running those Bible studies through that filter. Are we actually making more and better disciples of Jesus? And their conclusion as leaders of that ministry was like, no, we're really not. It's great. The Bible studies are great. Everybody loves the Bible study, but we're not actually creating disciples who are doing anything with it. So they made the shift uh, three or four years ago into women's connection groups, getting into smaller groups uh, and driving toward accountability and action beyond just, we're going to hear a lesson on a video and talk generally about uh how it applies to people's lives. And they begin to see a lot of traction and fruit from that. And the the women involved in that nearly doubled over the next couple of years. So they began to truly see this, this was a more fruitful um, avenue for helping make disciples. And in that, in doing that, it actually created more teachers, not less. So it made it less dependent upon the video on the screen or the person standing up in front of the room. And now you have 50, 60, I don't even know how many groups we have now. You got a bunch of them. Yeah. Josh, do you have any idea? We're talking about women's... Women's connection groups? Well, we, yeah, the women's life Before group. we did the shift. Yeah. Uh, there was... Oh, man, there was... 40 teachers, I yeah. mean, 40 different group leaders. Yeah. So, and there's quite a few. Yeah. And so think about all of those are then utilizing the gift that they've been given just in a smaller arena. And so it actually empowers people to teach um, in those avenues. So with that switch happened, and then the men's Bible study actually launched after the women did that. And, and the men's Bible study grew and there was... 40, 50, 60 guys that were a part of that at different times. 
um, wasn't always that big, but it it grew and there was a significant group of men and they were um, they were loving it and they had a great it was great. Um, they enjoyed it and it was a Monday night opportunity to connect with people. Um, but again, our elders began to evaluate and say, look, what is what is the long-term play for our church? How do we fulfill our mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus? And we wanted to evaluate every area of our church. We went on a retreat and we stayed in an Airbnb and we just hashed it out for a few days trying to figure this out. What is what is the long-term most effective strategy to make more and better disciples of Jesus? And coming out of that, praying through it, reading scripture, seeking wise counsel, and then utilizing our own experience, that's when we made the shift to discipleship groups. And again, it wasn't because the teaching was bad or the teachers were bad or they weren't gifted. It wasn't any of that. It's just we we recognized the limitation of a one-teacher model on a, on a Monday night, uh, the limitations of that, that most young fathers can't be a part of that. Um, if you have kids in sports at all, you can't be a part of that. When you're, when you're working um, and then you only get the evenings to be with your kids, that, that doesn't work when you're adding two or three nights a week because you've got other things that you got to be doing. And so the, the, the circle of influence for that was smaller than we would have hoped. And so we try to figure out how can we leverage, we need 40 groups, we need 50 groups, we don't need one group, how can we do that? And so that's where we began with the discipleship model and said, look, we, the thing that gets missed in large group Bible studies is the ongoing confession of sin, repentance of sin, and actual accountability to grow in your faith. And so those are, those are mandated parts of growing as a disciple of Jesus, to be a better disciple. And so those large group Bible studies don't offer that. So we launched into what we call our discipleship groups. And again, in those, we, we have not devalued teaching. We have elevated more teachers. Like Bible study on some level, is a part of every one of those discipleship groups. We're not taking that away. We are dispersing it so that more people can leverage those gifts in smaller arenas so that there's actual accountability and trust formed and confession and repentance can be taken place. So uh, we are happy. I'm happy to hear um, that that group is still going. That's great. And actually, even in that, there has been three or four new leaders and teachers that have grown up out of that. And we are grateful for that. So we're not against uh, Bible study at all. Um, we just want to try to figure out what is the best mode of, of making more and better disciples of Jesus. Like we do large group Bible study every Sunday morning. Like <laughs> we've spent the last 35 weeks in the book of Romans doing large group Bible study. That's what we're doing on a Sunday morning. And so we're not against large group Bible study. But what we do know is it has a limitation when that large group doesn't actually drive down to confession, repentance, and accountability in a person's life. You know, I was going to, as we kick off in Romans 12, what we're talking about is this idea of a spiritual formation. 
I'm reading this new book by a guy, Bob uh, Mulhander. It's talking all about spiritual formation. And he, the definition he has is the, the process of being, the process of being formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. Um, and so uh, just reading that personally, just thinking through that, we start Romans 12 and I'm like, oh, this is what Paul's talking about. All the things that he's about to apply to us is us being transformed and formed into the image of Jesus. And most of all of the things he's talking about is for the sake of others. And what we know is, or what I know is, my spiritual formation is a lot better when I'm being held accountable, right? Again, mm-hmm. if I just come and listen to Jason or whoever teach a large group thing and I nobody's holding my feet to the fire, I can go, that was really good. Thanks, man. But the moment somebody challenges me to go, you said this thing last week, did you do it? I go, oh, man, I didn't do it. Or yeah, I did. Thanks for the accountability. And so I think that's the piece of it is we're looking at how do we, and again, that would have made much more sense because they didn't have these large group Bible studies anyways. Church Paul's writing to is probably a smaller group. They had house churches, right? And they're holding one another accountable and they had these things. So again, when we're looking at this stuff, it's, again, like you said yesterday, teaching is not necessarily on a platform with lights and a mic. It's it's in the lives of people showing them the scriptures. Dad, you should be doing that with your kids. Like, yeah, we as a church have some things. I think you're going to talk about that, but it doesn't have to just be confined to using your gift here at Quad City, right? Like, I should be opening the word of God at home with my little boys. Me and my wife should be teaching the scriptures. If I have, co- I know there are people who have Bible studies at their workplace that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with Quad City yeah. because they go, I want to help other people learn the word to be transformed, yep. to renew their mind. So, again, I think we just have to not get so concerned of like, oh, it has to function within this large thing. Like you said, hey, man. Like, I know a couple of the guys who are in that men's thing now that's at the Hampton Inn. And they're just trying to honor Jesus and want to get that group of guys together. And yeah. Okay, great, man. Like, what we're saying is we want to see uh, spiritual formation and transformation go deeper. Mm-hmm. And the best avenue to do that is a smaller, not larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just trying to balance that. And so I think we just have to keep that in mind like everything we're talking about everything paul's talking about is like hey we want you to be formed more to the image of jesus and i don't think that ever meant just sitting around listening to things and i would say sorry i would say again that mimics jesus ministry sure he had ministry to the crowds he set and taught thousands great but then what did he do he walked away and then he'd go into a house and the disciples would say Hey, you told a weird story. What in the <laughs> world were you did you mean by that? And it was in that context that the teaching actually took took root in their in their life. And so again, we do large group Bible study here. I do right. it 3 times every Sunday. Right. We do it. And then and then we take that and say, okay, what does this mean for our life? And and we leverage those opportunities. Uh so that people can dig into the word even further alongside with of people who are asking hard questions who are who are uh, more familiar with a person's story and what they're going through and can help create application that is personalized based on their own sin their own circumstances their own giftings all of that stuff um 
allows the word to go deeper into somebody's life. And so just the areas I lead, we have uh, life group leaders who are teaching and studying. And so we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, we'll get there next. Okay. I've got a list. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so just to, I w- I've got a qualifier, then I want to put a bow on the end of this question. The qualifier is this. Uh, Jason, to your point, we do large group Bible study three times every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, five times every yeah. Sunday, actually, between Prescott and Prescott Valley. Yeah. That's really, really important. Uh, and in that, I don't want to disqualify or discredit churches that are structured differently than us. Correct. There is a yeah. huge difference. Not every church is as engaged in exegesis as we are on Sunday mornings. Not every church, church preaches the way that we preach on Sunday mornings. And in lieu of that, there are a lot of churches, many of which even in our community, in which large group Bible study fills a necessary gap that they experience on Sunday mornings because they're not as line by line, verse by verse on Sundays. So they have an avenue for that. And we recognize that that's good. That is holy and good. And there are ways that that can be incredibly successful in making more and better disciples of Jesus. This is the way we feel called mm-hmm. to do it. So I think that's a really uh, necessary identifier. We're not saying any church that does anything differently right. or the Bible study you were saved in, like that that's good and that's holy and that's valuable within context. What we're saying is we exist in a different context. Mm-hmm. We're not the context of the last church you went to. And in lieu of that, we're going to do things a little bit differently here and there in a necessary way. And I would say, just making one more point on that, Although I do most of that teaching, I am not the only teacher. Josh is given that platform. Uh, Kenny is given that platform. Uh, Through our variety pack this summer, we'll have five, six different people who are going to use their gift of teaching to edify our church. And so it's not about... um, that Jason has this stage and Mike and nobody else gets the, and that's not how this works. Um, while I have been put in a position to be the primary voice from that, we want to make sure that other people are getting the use of that as well to leverage the gifts that God has given them uh, for Quad City. That's really good. Here's the end of the question, because this is what you were jumping into, yeah. Josh, here, right? So the the landing question is, what are the acceptable venues at Quad City where a teacher can exercise his or her gifts. I've got a quick list here and I'd like to dive in maybe to some specifics within each of these. Um, I'm just going to start by age, right? Let's go kids. Let's go kids <laughs> ministry. Let's, Let's go. start there. Like early childhood. We've got three classrooms in Prescott, one in Prescott Valley. That's dedicated to this idea of, oh, let's te- teach our children. It's not daycare. It's not what we do on Sunday mornings, right? It is early childhood biblical education. It's what we try to promote in kids ministry. And we need people to teach in those, in those venues. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I just want to make sure that nobody just kind of rolls their eyes and thinks that is not valuable or somehow lesser value. It may be even of more and greater value. Like the, the things that we learn at those impressionable young ages have a way of it, of storing in our soul in a way that a 47 year old adult person who's walking in and hearing a lesson, man, it's going to take a long time for that to, to dig into his soul. So that, that ministry to young children is so vital. And if we have good teachers in there, it's going to pay dividends for the next 75 years and gifted in a way that yeah. connects yep. with kids in a culture of, you know, 
three seconds, their brain's moving somewhere That's else. Right. And there are people who lock in, and my boys are like, oh, mm-hmm. like they're in, yeah, like, the, and they love them, and they're building those relationships with them, and they're coming home saying, "Yeah, we learned about this, and we talked about this." And so, just as a parent, you're one hundred percent correct, dude. It matters. Like those of you who are using that gift that you have been giving to serve our kids, I am grateful. Mm-hmm. Like personally, how you are helping reaffirm what we are trying to teach our boys about following Jesus. Yeah, I uh, a quick forty-five second anecdotal story because I know we're go keep keep going on on this. But uh, this past week, Porter, our six-year-old, who just just turned six, is in kindergarten. Uh, my wife and I get a picture from one of our coworkers. She works at the school he goes to. And the pictures of him in an assembly holding a, a, a character award. And I was chatting with him afterwards and we were talking about why he got the award, why he thought he got, you know, chosen for this thing. And again, school awards are kind of silly and sometimes they mean something, sometimes they don't. But we were chatting about this idea of like some of the the um, virtues that allowed him or caused him to get the award. And he brings up the idea of humility, which just so happens, everyone, <laughs> to be exactly what the kids ministry team has been teaching him over the course of this month. So like, if you think, man, it's just kids ministry, what does it matter anyways? And what are they listening to? I don't know, man, my son listens. Like he actually retains uh, like shout, huge shout out to Charity Heward and the rest of the kids ministry team that so uh, graciously uh, and uh, successfully has engaged with this group of kids and taught them something that really sticks and, and has retained uh, in them. So I'm grateful for people who are called and gifted to teach, especially to that age group. Uh, but not even that age group alone. you got elementary, which is a whole different animal. It's slightly older kids from first grade through fourth. We need teachers in there also in a very similar uh, set of giftings. We've got student ministry getting a little bit older, fifth through eighth grade on Sundays, and then midweek with both junior high and high schoolers. We need small group leaders that help walk through these biblical principles that we're teaching with our our students, like we need gifted teachers in those areas also. And then Josh, where you jumped in with life groups and discipleship groups, man, Josh, I mean, how many life groups do we have right now? We have a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have 40 or 50 and most of them are, you know, co-leaders or a husband and a wife leading together teaching. And, you know, obviously I have to be, again, I know we give them questions, but it's so much more. It's, it's knowing your group and going, man, how can I engage our group in this conversation? And, yeah. You know, our leaders, have, when they're listening, I'm going, hey, when you're listening to Jason teach, you are trying to go, how do I reframe this so that my group can talk about it? Like, because my perspective is limited to Josh. Yeah. Um, and then the other guys who are writing these questions, but you know your group. That's what a good teacher is. They know your people. Right. You say all the time you have to shotgun it to try to get all of us to feel the conviction. Mm-hmm. These teachers of 12s and 10 people know those 12 and 10 in a way that they can really go, Brendan, OK, hey, I know you. So when you heard this, what did it make you think? Yeah, you're taking them on that learning journey yes. with you. You're yes. trying to help walk with them and, and shepherd them as we push them in the direction of what we think the Bible's teaching us. And that's even more true in the 25 plus discipleship groups we right. have. It's a very intimate setting with three, four other people where you're doing that same thing. You're you're getting to know your group and you're walking that with them through whatever it is that we're teaching. I'm I'm just convinced that like right now we have more opportunities to teach in our church than we have ever had in the history of Quad City. With our size, with how many groups we have, with the amount of 
uh, ministries that are designed around giving people opportunities and empowering them to use the gifts within the body that they've been given, there are more opportunities now than there ever have been. And I, want, I just want to make sure, to your point, Jason, on Sunday, that we're not mistaking teaching with platforming. Yep. Like those are two different things. And platforms can be a tool that we use to teach from. But man, the impact of teaching in a small group setting is so, so, so significant. So I had uh, a friend, Melody, came up to me on Sunday. And her eyes were just so excited. She came up at Pastor's Point and said, it is so great the way that what you're teaching perfectly aligns with what I'm teaching this week. Uh, so she does our brown bag lunches with our ladies, and she she teaches. And so she's leveraging that gift in that environment. And she was telling me about how excited she was that some of the things that we talked about on Sunday perfectly aligned with what she's going to share. And she just couldn't help but, but come and share that with me. So there's another environment. We think about our men's breakfast. We have people uh, once a month who get up and they'll share a testimony or they'll give a devotion or they're, you know, Tim Dunsing was up there a couple of weeks ago sharing his story. And so there are these moments, again, outside of just a Sunday morning kind of option that people are leveraging their gifts. And we want to see that happen. The church needs that. It does. Absolutely does. Um, anything else on this idea of gifts, how we're using our gifts, how we're empowering our church to do so? Because I've got one more question. I would just say the reminder is all of the gifts are given to edify the body. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing that with your gift, then you are succeeding in what God has given you. Yeah. If it is all for personal gain, then that's not the reason this is given ever. And so, like you said, like, we have to kill off those things in us that want to bring about selfish gain. And man, we get really caught up in, in this gifting thing. Like you said, we need more people to live out the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy. Do I have 40 to 50 people who have the gift of mercy because they, they're dying to serve our community on Tuesday nights. They want to serve people. And I know when you talked about, Hey, be careful because they're going to misuse you. They all probably went, yeah, that's happening. But they just keep doing it because yeah. they want to serve people. They mm -hmm. have been, I thought about your mom, like that, yeah. she has that gift to just want to serve yeah. and help people. Like those are the gifts that are just in with people and they don't get any spotlight. They don't get any praise, but they are reminding people that we value and see them as a creation of God. And so don't discount that kind of stuff. Those are huge gifts that edify our body, man. And I'm grateful yeah. for people who are just doing those kinds of things. Yeah, that's you know? really good. Yeah. Here's the last question. Um, trying to close on this big idea of uh, what does it mean to actually be a living sacrifice? What does it mean to live a life that is sacrificial, dying to yourself, living for Jesus every day? Uh, here we we cited you know foster care and adoption care and caring for orphans and widows and, and that sort of thing from a, a biblical perspective. But here's the question: other than uh, adoption, foster care, parenting, helping in those uh, those areas and opportunities, could you give us some more examples uh, of living uh, sacrifices for our Lord? Uh, this one I should have had this question earlier, so I could have thought more about it. Uh, I think about. I think about a homeschool mom, whether adoption or whatever, 
is a sacrifice. Many of them could go out and get a job or they quit a job just to homeschool their kids. That is a living sacrifice. I think about parents. I'm sorry. I think about people who take in their parents. Like there's ultimately going to be a place and a time where our parents can't take care of themselves. I've got a person in my life group who's getting ready to move across the country because their parents are getting of age that they can't take care of themselves well. And they're dealing with some dementia stuff and some health stuff. And this is going to be a season where they are going to be a living sacrifice. They're going to put their lives on hold for the sake of their parents in their final season of life. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a living sacrifice. I think about a friend we hung out with last night who just uh, in the last six months came back from uh, a single young lady who went on the mission field for three years, gave herself to that mission and ministry for for a couple of years. That's a living sacrifice. They giving themselves up to go do something with their life for the Lord. There's a, again, there's a hundred ways that we could do this um, all the time. Again, I, I speak about the foster care and adoption because I, I don't see a better one. I don't, I mean, it, it may be the most difficult that I've witnessed up close, but there are certainly others. Um, and many ways that people do this. Um, maybe you guys got a couple more. I would just say, probably needs to hurt yeah yeah um like so there are some things i do when i serve and it's really it can be comfortable yes um uh it actually gets me accolades uh uh-huh yeah it actually people Mm -hmm. pat me on the back or just it's it's easy yeah you serve out and there's some great parts of that yeah you know um you know we talk about you know always giving like there should be a level to the giving that it actually is a step of faith that it hurts a little bit. Stings. Right? It's like, oh, I got to really have faith that God's going to come through. Not I'm kind of... So when you were talking about like a living sacrifice, the foster care and adoption is so true that it hurts. Like, again, I've heard a lot of redeemable, glorious stories. But what I love about being here is the honesty that all the families talk to or talk about and what they've experienced. That it is not sunshine and roses Mm -hmm. and that it's really hard but you don't quit you do it because this is what god has called you to do and like i'm like man and so when you're talking about living that's the filter that i'm running through that i'm saying hey this is what i'm doing and it hurts but i do it because it's what god called me to do Mm -hmm. and this is what it means to be a living sacrifice i'm having to die to myself I yep. think about the um, those in in the medical field who choose to go to rural communities and leverage their gifts in in northern Louisiana or in the Appalachians of Kentucky, like where they could take those same gifts and go somewhere else and make more money and get no, more notoriety, but they sacrifice that because their hometown that they came from doesn't have enough doctors. And so somebody's got to do that. And so I'm going to do that to the glory of God. I'm going to go serve these people, even though it costs me, 
Um, you know, it, think about you when you went to plant a church in a Josh, you went and planted a church in Louisiana, and there's a lot of places you could have gone that would have been a lot easier, uh, where your budget would have been better, where you'd have had a nice office. And but it was a a season of man, I'm just just gonna be a living sacrifice for these people, and I'm gonna do the hard thing and serve and love these people who are marginalized and and show them what it looks like to follow after Jesus. So yeah, it looks like a lot of different things, but to your point being a living sacrifice, it's going to be painful. So I think to the question, because I know who sent it in, is older and retired. Mm. So what does that look like? for we? Because we do have a, a population of our church that is on the back end, which I do love how you <clears throat> kind of talked when you were talking about leading. Hey, some of you used it in the gift of, use this gift to ex- make yourself more, you know, money or norm or whatever. Now in the kingdom, you're like, ooh, I don't do that anymore because it's really hard. So when you think living sacrifice of those who are on the back end, say the last 20 or last 30 years, what would be some maybe practical things that you think of for somebody in that age? Because again, it it may look a lot different than Brendan taking in a foster kid. Not to say that they can. Yeah. I've I've got a couple of thoughts on that. First, there's this really popular sermon that was preached at Passion 20 years ago almost. And I think it was a Piper sermon. Uh, that's all about this idea of, right. He tells this story of these retired people that, you know, uh, retired to this, uh, uh, you know, area in Boca Florida. Raton. Is it Boca Raton? Yes. And they spend their days collecting seashells on the shorelines. And that's, you know, and he reframes it as, as this thing where it's like, man, these are the years in which we are only getting closer and closer to meeting Jesus. Like these are the years leading to the end of our time on earth and the beginning of our time in glory. What do we want the legacy? And again, I'm speaking as a almost 30 year old. What do I know? But what do we want the legacy of these years to be before I go and meet Jesus? It's probably not my collection of shells on the seashore. Uh, and it was compelling. And I think about that often just about, man, what am I doing even now to set myself up for that? So I was reminded of this story. I'm sorry. Can I? Go, sure. yeah, he, go for it. He, he uh, creates a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dichotomy with a couple of nuns, yeah. a couple of missionaries who in their 80s, and one of them may have even been in their 90s, who were sharing the gospel in a, I don't know, wherever it was, and ended up in a fiery car crash careening off a mountain and dying. And he's like, which one of these do you want to be your last moments going back before Jesus? Like you give your last 10 years to doing what? Sharing the gospel in the mountains and ending up in a fiery car crash before you meet Jesus or stroking out at 97 from too much heat picking up your seashells. Like what, what's the, where do you want to, what do you want the story to be? So that was the other side of the story was, I just remember these two old ladies yeah, that he's talking yeah. about. And he's like, that wasn't sad. That's not a sad story. These two ladies going into the mountains and sharing the gospel into their eighties and nineties. That's a story worth telling. That is, yeah, that, that is a good, helpful dichotomy. Um, again, really great message. Yeah. 
The uh, so here's what I'm reminded of. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with a guy, and uh, they're they've been around our church for a couple of years, and I hadn't known him well, but we're chatting, and, and uh, this older gentleman and his wife come up, and they obviously knew each other quite well, and I'm just kind of third party observing the conversation. Uh, older couple walks away, and I ask this guy, "Hey, uh, yeah, so how long have you guys been connected? What's that going on, going on? What's going on there?" And essentially, what happens is we've got this family who has a couple of um, uh, adopted children with some medical needs and that sort of thing. Like they're again, they're serving in this way and uh, and offering up their home and their bodies as living sacrifice in this way uh, with their family. And this other couple had just moved here from Southern California. We can gripe about that all we want, but within this context, it's like, man, this is an incredible story because we uh, had preached a message similar to this about, hey, how do we engage with people in foster and adoption care? They showed up to a thing that was an informational like, hey, here's maybe a couple of ways because to your point yesterday, for every single person sitting in the room, it may not be the most wise choice in this moment to take a child into their home. Like that might not be the most wise choice for you, but you can attend a class that engages you with this family, and then you can become Prescott grandma and grandpa to these kids that that need support. You can give date nights to the to the mom and dad. You can serve in this way, and it was just such a beautiful, like real life example of okay, this is what serving in foster care looks like. It's not always becoming licensed and taking a kid into your house, but it could just be, man, I've got the time and the capacity to go engage with this family, to love their kids, to to serve them in this way like once a week, once a month, whatever it is. Especially so. in an environment where so many of our grandmas and grandpas don't live near their grandkids. Right. We have so many that have moved here. So leverage that grandpa gene for somebody else's kids because they yeah. don't have grandpas here either. And as you do that, you can teach these kids the beauty of what it looks like to serve God mm -hmm. and they can watch you and walk alongside of you and sit at the wood bench with you. And you can tell them about how glorious Jesus is and you're going to teach them the word, right? Yeah. Like that's how we then use yeah. that other gift too. like we position ourselves in ways to be available. And then God just does something with the gifts he's been given to start using them for his glory, honor, and praise, right? Like, that's how it happens, you know? And these foster kids that need that, and they I, they won't, I don't forget, I mean, I don't forget guys who pulled me along and we sat somewhere and they did this thing. I'll never forget those guys. Yeah. Your story is mm -hmm. a guy who grabbed you and pulled you in and said, hey, come with me and yeah. watch and learn. And your life is forever changed. Mm -hmm. And we should be looking at going, okay, God, if I am on the back half, Time should not be an issue because what we all say in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, I wish I had more time. I don't have free time. And sometimes we get retired and our calendars more full mm -hmm. instead of going, how do I leverage now this retirement for yeah. the glory of the kingdom? That's really good. So those are just a couple of thoughts on uh, living sacrifice and how it plays out at the different stages of life. So, all right. I think that's enough for today. We're an hour and a half in. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll chat again real soon. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 35 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so grateful that you would bear with us to the very end of this show. We know it was a long one. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, as always, if you ever have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we do encourage you to join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit your question to be answered right here on the podcast. 
Again, we hope this conversation was helpful and fruitful in your walk with Jesus, and we can't wait to see you again real soon.